tired of being in the dark about cryptocurrency? Learn how to grow your money, navigate and stay ahead in this crazy new economy through easy to understand conversations with experts as we simplify the ins and outs of digital money and blockchain and how it will continue to affect our lifestyle. Pick up something new every two weeks with our crypto journalist, host Barbara Donato. Hello, everyone. My name is Barbara Donato, and welcome to Crypto Chronicles, where we delve into the world of all things cryptocurrency. Looking towards the future of money, I'm realizing more and more that as cryptocurrency becomes increasingly prevalent in our everyday life, there's so much knowledge out there that we can attain. So please learn alongside me as I talk to the experts and those in the know about the ins and outs of digital money. My guest today is originally from Seattle, Washington, and is a graduate of Morehouse College with an MBA from the University of Phoenix. He's formerly a viral content curation sensation Upworthy.com and discovering Bitcoin as a contributing curator, he started the Bitcoin diversity site BlacksInBitcoin.com in 2014 to share his enthusiasm for cryptocurrency. As CEO, founder of early stage daily fantasy movies gaming site CinemaDraft, currently raising its seed funding round, Eduardo has applied his interest in cryptocurrency and decentralized technology into a DAP-style Tron-based smart contract token for the platform called CD3D. So, what led you into cryptocurrency specifically? Well, how far back should I go? Well, you know what? Let's start with uh, the recession. Uh, like many people in the, in the, during the recession, I lost my house, lost my car, find myself back in Seattle in my old high school bedroom trying to figure out why this is all happening to me and what exactly is going on. And I read a bunch of books, basically figured out that the whole you know, global financial system that we know it is kind of rigged. You know, stock market, banks, all those guys got bailed out, but we you know, largely suffered. And so I was mentally and emotionally prepared for crypto after reading that stuff. And it wasn't until 2013, really, that I truly got it. I actually saw a, an episode of The Good Wife, where in 2012, called Bitcoin for Dummies, where Jason Biggs from American Pie fame played Satoshi, the mysterious creator of Bitcoin. And it was a great episode, but I thought they made it up. It sounded totally fake. And so I totally forgot <laughs> about it. And it wasn't until... I was looking for something to, to write up for Upworthy, clickbait, headlines, stuff like that. I'm sorry, you're welcome, that was us. <laughs> and I was looking for something <laughs> to write up about. And I stumbled onto this guy named Max Kaiser, K-E-I-S-E-R. And I was already somewhat familiar with him before because he'd done something called the Hollywood Stock Exchange, which had gotten close to being legislated into reality and then you know kind of got shut down during a, a midterm election year. And so I was kind of familiar with his work earlier, but here he was, of all platforms, Russia Today, hair on fire, talking, you know, talking about this is, and this is uh, March of 2013, hair on fire, talking about how he's a Bitcoin millionaire, Bitcoin had just crossed the $50 threshold, nobody thought he could ever make $50 per Bitcoin, and he was so excited about it, talking about how the banksters, you know, the JP Morgans, and then the bank gangsters, whatever, were totally going to be shaking their boots, and how Bitcoin's here to stay. Very excited about it, so I, so I watched it a few times, I wrote it up, and then went to my own little rabbit hole of Bitcoin. And, and honestly, there wasn't even cryptocurrency back then. It was just Bitcoin and like Litecoin, maybe. 
And so I went into the, to the rabbit hole and I bought my very first few Bitcoin at $88 per in May of 2013. And that- wow, $88. And I, honestly, then I thought I missed it. I, I thought I'd, I missed the boat because, you know, like, like I said, I, I found Max when it was at $50. Uh, some poker friends of mine, poker friend of mine, had got into it in January of 2013 at $30. So $88, I was pissed. I'm like, oh my God, I missed the boat. <laughs> little did I know. I know. A little did you know, because, geez, what it's worth now, right? Well, and then not only that, I mean, by like December of that year, I think we had a run up in 2013 up to about maybe $1,100, $1,200. At one point, it had briefly passed the price per ounce of gold. And we were kind of crowing about that in the Bitcoin community. And for Christmas that year, I was giving everybody, you know, in my circle, five or $10 of Bitcoin. And it was about maybe seven, $800 uh, per Bitcoin at the time. And it was just fun back in 2017 when we had the big run up to 20,000 per Bitcoin briefly to just tap people like, hey, remember that Bitcoin I sent you for Christmas five years, you know, four years ago you forgot about? It's worth about two hundred, you know, five dollars worth about two hundred bucks worth now. It's just, it's just great to see little run runs up in price every now and then, and kind of be like, I told you so. Yeah, I mean, Bitcoin now is worth what is it like a little over eleven thousand dollars for one? No, it's actually it flirted with thirteen thousand. It got up as high as thirteen thousand one hundred ish yesterday. It's about twelve thousand seven hundred when I checked about five minutes ago. So it's, that's amazing. Yeah, it, it but it's. Everyone thinks that we're about to embark on another bull run for a lot of different reasons, mostly because PayPal now wants to get into the game, albeit in limited fashion. You have a lot more institutional money, hedge funds, and and people like that who are actually buying in bulk on behalf of their their clients and things like that. So I, I think we are. I mean, it, it's anyone who can tell you definitively, you know, they know the price is going up at a certain time is lying. I mean, every time we think it's going up, it goes down. Every time we think it's going down, it's going up. I mean, and there are people who try to technically chart it and things like that, which, you know, it's, it's a fun exercise, but it doesn't follow a lot of the rules of traditional market models that we've seen before. It just, just doesn't. So I think it's, as a Bitcoin maximalist, as they call us, you know, us longtime hodlers, or, you know, longtime holders of Bitcoin, I just believe that it's going to be notoriously underpriced for a while. And that we should, you know, that right now it's always a good time to get more and more Bitcoin because it's something that's going to be going to at least a million dollars per Bitcoin in our lifetime. Well, you, you pretty much answered my next question because in 2018, you wrote an article stating why it's not too late to buy Bitcoin. So I'm assuming you still feel that way now. Yeah, well, actually, well, so it's on my, it's on my little hobby site, uh, blacksandbitcoin.com. And actually, it was uh, December of 2017, right at the height of the last true you know, Bitcoin bull market where Bitcoin ran up from somewhere in like, I don't know, three, 4,000 earlier in the year to briefly flirting with $20,000 per Bitcoin. It was, it was glorious. And everyone, of course, wanted to get in on it. There was you know, a lot of mania around it, a lot of interesting products coming you know, in and out of the cryptocurrency space. But a lot of people you know, who would ask me, and not even necessarily people who I'd warned about or told about or even given Bitcoin to before, just totally new people to the space, they were like, you know, did I miss it? Is it too late? And so it got to the, so like the opening of it is, you know, I get some version of the sentiment every single day. I talk to someone not into cryptocurrency about buying it. I miss it. It's too late. It's never too late to get into Bitcoin cryptocurrency. And I lay out like six solid reasons, you know, not to give away the whole thing, but basically there are factors built into how Bitcoin works that 
not, doesn't necessarily guarantee the price will always goes up, but it definitely guarantees that it will be scarcer over time. And for basic, you know, one on one level you know, economics is you know the economies of supply and demand. You know, the less supply there is, something that the more has. value it has. Yeah, exactly. That you know, if there's demand for something and there's less supply of it, the value of it goes up. And so the brilliance about Bitcoin, as compared to say the U.S. dollar, is that it's limited in nature. There's only going to be 21 million ever. We've already mined something like 17 million of Bitcoin already. And by mining, mm-hmm. mining is the process that transactions are approved on the Bitcoin network. And the Bitcoin network is called a blockchain. And what's great about the blockchain is that it's open to everyone. Everyone can see what everyone else is doing. You may not know who these people are because you know, it's a string of numbers and, and digits, but you can see every transaction in perpetuity in the history of Bitcoin that's ever been transacted on this blockchain. And that kind of that level of transparency is something that we really do not have in, in the current global macroeconomic system. The world, yes. So what you're saying is that we should, and I apologize for cutting you off. So like I came very, 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 very late in the game that I, uh, how I feel um, compared to when you started um, in buying Bitcoin. So I was not able to buy one, but I did buy a small like point zero 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 two three you know parts of one. And for me, that I you still think that I should be able to like buy pieces of Bitcoin, like I can still make some type of a little bit of money off of that or it could grow off of my little tiny piece of, of the Bitcoin that I bought? Absolutely. And that's the great thing about Bitcoin is that it's it's divisible down to like the eighth decimal. So you can pretty much buy almost any amount of Bitcoin that you want, provided that there's someone there willing to sell it to you. And I think the price of Bitcoin confuses people to an extent. They're like, oh, I can't, you know, it's, it's too late. I can't get a Bitcoin or it's too expensive, whatever. And that's another thing I kind of touch in in my article is that is that because it's so highly divisible, because it is if you want to buy a whole Bitcoin, it's expensive. Every millionaire in the world couldn't buy a single Bitcoin. There's not enough left. I mean, every definitely every billionaire in the world probably couldn't either. I mean, there's just there's not enough Bitcoin left if every millionaire in the world wanted to have a single whole Bitcoin. So you have to buy mm-hmm. pieces of it. That's what's great about it is that because you can buy down to you know fractions of pennies of Bitcoin, because you can buy so little of it, you can see great gains with you know a little bit of amount invested. Like I mentioned, I was giving out five, I, I'm not sure if I mentioned this on air or not, but I was giving out like $5 of Bitcoin out to friends of mine in December of 2013, just to get them started. And, like, and it was just, you know, simple Coinbase accounts, which is essentially like the Walmart of crypto. <laughs> I mean, they're very big, they're <laughs> FDIC insured and stuff, they're very safe, but also they're very basic. You don't want to keep your Bitcoin per se on. It's the same as if you put all your money in a bank. If the bank goes under, then your money goes under. So, do you think Coinbase is like a good starter exchange? Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's very retail friendly. You know, the the design is fairly intuitive and easy to use, and they're everywhere and they've got the name recognition. I think they've been around since 2014. So, so yeah, so Coinbase is a good place to get started. But just keep in mind, it's like a lot of the advantages of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency is you being your own bank, being able to do peer-to-peer transactions without a middle without a middle person, without a middleman. That's what's what attractive. So then where would like where I'm a beginner, so I would be I use Coinbase. So as I get to the intermediate or advanced level, what would be like my next thing? Would where would I go to 
to buy uh, cryptocurrency. Coinbase is fine to, to buy, although their fees can be somewhat high. You kind of use them for convenience or speed. If you can, you know, I think you buy crypto with credit card, debit card, with PayPal account, I think as well. I mean, they're they're there for convenience and speed. But, but if you want to get more sophisticated, I like using the Gemini Exchange. That's the one started by the Winklevoss twins, the Winklevi. You know, they're having their their second act, a strong second act with uh, the Gemini Exchange. Their fees are a lot lower, although it can be a little slower to get your, your money cleared. Like you can buy crypto immediately, but it takes the, the length of time to clear an ACH in order for it to clear, in order for you to take the assets off the platform. The, the, when you hear about things like so-and-so got hacked or whatever, you know, it, Bitcoin has never been hacked. Cryptocurrencies generally aren't hacked. It's usually the, the flaw is usually with the people who store it. And you know, a lot of places, including, you know, including on my site, blacksandbitcoin.com, where you can learn on how to properly secure and store your, your cryptocurrency. What I would advise doing is just is getting what, what's called like a paper wallet if you just want to save it and not, you know, for a rainy day. Get, get a paper wallet. I, I think you can go to, I think it's bitcoinwallet.org. I think that's right, where you can generate a paper wallet right there. Make sure I'm not wrong. Bitcoinwallet.org. That's not right. Anyway, well, there are sites. I'll maybe I'll I'll provide a site for you and uh, look it up after where I go to get my paper wallets. And basically, you can send the Bitcoin you buy on Coinbase to your paper wallet. And so that way, it's off the exchange. It's safely and secured in your own personal wallet, and then you can spend it elsewhere as you please, or it's not spend it all to sit on. That's good to know because I I would have just left it in Coinbase and just uh never moved it again. <laughs> I have another question for you in regards to one of your other articles. I bought XRP uh, several weeks ago and I was like banger because I read somewhere that XRP was going to be used between banks and I was like, well, if banks use it, then the value is going to go up. And then I read your article <laughs> and. <laughs> in which you stated that XRP wasn't one of your favorites. Can we talk about that? Can you let me know why? Sure. And I've been on a, on a bit of a journey with XRP as several of us in the crypto community have, have been. I first really was alerted to XRP's potential, I guess, about, back in 2018 when I was more regularly recording a podcast for, for BlacksandBitcoin.com. I had on a Black Republican uh, named, oh, I forget his name, but he was right. He worked at a bank. He worked for Wells Fargo, and he was extolling to me the virtues of XRP as being a bank coin to help settle the trillion-dollar interbank daily settlement market. So all the money that banks lend each other every day needs to settle out at the end of the day. And he saw XRP as being instrumental for that. And to me, it sounded like a great idea. I ran out after the interview. I bought some XRP. I watched that sucker moon. Actually, I think I think it was 2017. So I watched that sucker moon from. I think I had it at 20 cents up to like, I think it flirted with a dollar or something. I cashed out around 80 cents in January 2018 when tide started to turn. And it's been stuck right now. I'm looking at coinmarketcap.com. Right now it's stuck at like 25 cents. And issue one of the issues with XRP is that they their, their business model is kind of flawed if they expected to be the ready-made solution for banks. Banks like owning stuff. Banks like centralization. Banks like to wall their gardens, put it that way. And so there was nothing really holding banks back from copying XRP or, or cryptocurrency in general and doing their own thing. Now, a lot of XRP truthers still believe it's going to flirt with the dollar, two, three dollars, whatever. 
because they think the international global remittances market will be enough. Like people who are sending money back to their native countries, you know, like to Central America, or whatever, you know, because Western Union is is has exorbitant fees and, and things like that. Whereas the whole draw and appeal of cryptocurrency is that you can send stuff almost instantly or quickly for cheap and peer to peer. XRP is definitely trying to get into that market. They've cut a bunch of marketing deals, with a lot of different companies outside of banks, and it just hasn't cut on. And part of the reason why the the price action is so low on XRP is that it's highly centralized. I think the, the circulating supply right now is some ridiculous, it's always 45 billion. It's like, it's like those numbers are, get kind of looney tunes, but they also have 60% of the cap of all the XRP that's ever going to be produced under escrow from the company Ripple, which started it. And so when you hear that, that and every month they burn, aka uh, uh, sell off or spend part of that escrow account, that artificially keeps the price of XRP low. So, mm. I, so that's part of the reason why I'm not a huge fan of XRP. And also what really turned me off to XRP, and I still have some some dust in my wallets of XRP. I still have, probably have you know, a handful of XRP in my wallets in case anything ever comes with it. But the XRP shill army TM, what I like to call the the bots. There's a huge bot network and then people who might as well be bots who are just out there shilling for XRP nonstop. If you ever want to see your mentions just go to hell, tweet something negative about XRP and just watch the, the bot farmers just find you and shill you or, or talk crap about you. It's, it's really ridiculous. Oh, wow. Like they're really pushing for XRP to be on top of the market. They, they really, they're, I mean, they might as well, they're one step away from being conspiracy theorists in my opinion, honestly. Oh, and wow. We have, and we have people like that in our group. I'm part of, I'm admin in a 10,300 plus person group called on Facebook called Black People in Cryptocurrency. I highly recommend you and your listeners to, to join it. Uh, if you can, it's also here for education. It's free site or it's a free group, whatever on Facebook. There are several of these sites out there targeting black people who require membership fees and stuff. I really wish I could name some names. I probably know it's probably it's probably not very classy, but probably not a good idea right now. <laughs> yeah, but, but, don't, but don't pay for stuff for education out there for free. I mean, that is to, true. Go to a Reddit. Go to r slash Bitcoin. That's where a lot of us congregated in the early days when. Back in 2013, when no one was really thinking too much about us, you know, go go to Black People in Cryptocurrency. There's a lot of free material in that group, especially in the archives, that can get you up to speed on the crypto space. But we have I mean, we have a lot of people in there who are XRP, who are part of the XRP show army. So yeah, I mean, it's just yes. annoying. Trying It'll to be interesting to see them. But you mentioned centralization versus decentralization. You, uh, just from what I've gathered from you, it sounds like decentralization is more on par with what you like and what you what you agree with. Which one, so I'm assuming that you think that decentralization is better. And then two, I did notice also that a lot of people tend to go towards cryptocurrency because of decentralization. I talked about it in my last episode, but can you talk about it as well? I think it would be nice to refresh our listeners between the difference on what the difference is between uh, centralization and decentralization and why cryptocurrency tends to go more for decentralization and why is that better? Yeah, well, so, I mean, some people probably believe you need to decentralize all the things, when, at least when it comes to things like money and certain systems. I mean, I think, you know, humanity is just better when we're allowed to decentralize some stuff. It's, it's the same concept as open sourcing. And I'll give you an example. I mean, like, 
part of the reason why Google is so ubiquitous and possible is that early on they open sourced their code. They open sourced their APIs and stuff. They wanted you to play with it. They wanted you to install search engines on your website. They wanted you to interact freely with Google. Now, I mean, and by open sourcing their code also, you can, that, that level of transparency led to a greater deal of trust early on. Now, obviously, Google is being, you know, dragged in front of Congress soon and for monopoly you know, type powers and stuff. So, you know, it's, it's kind of gone. They've kind of lost the plot there. But in general, open sourcing and decentralizing stuff is helpful because you're using basically the wisdom of the crowd to get stuff done. It's like it's like the difference between between having like a like trying to do like a, a school you know raffle versus doing say an Indiegogo campaign or or a Kickstarter, right? But you can reach more people if it's you know decentralized and, and more open source, and you can make things happen better. And part of the reason why why decentralization is better than centralization in the crypto space, besides it being a feature of cryptocurrency and things like Bitcoin, is that you're asking, you're innately putting your trust that systems are going to hold. And if it's one thing I learned when I you know, had to move back in with my mama in twenty in, in two thousand nine during the during the depths of the recession, is that even some of our most trusted and venerable institutions can and will fail us. All those teachers who lost their pensions in, in the Great Recession. My mom, who saw her pension from AT&T cut in half because oh, of wow. on Wall Street who were gambling with it. I mean, I'm saying, I mean, anytime you can eliminate an unnecessary layer of trust, I'm saying go for it. So what do I mean by, by decentralization being better for humanity and, and what cryptocurrency can play in that? Well, also, one of the points I bring up in that fairly long article on why it's never too late for Bitcoin is that, is that I truly believe that Everything, uh, not everything, but a lot of things we need a third party for, some lawyer stuff, title companies, housing, whatever, it'll be digitized and put on a blockchain. It'll essentially be decentralized. Like, for I mean, a good example of, of decentralization at work is Airbnb. That's a bit of a decentralized company. They don't own your house that you're renting out to somebody. They just provide the platform. They've decentralized hotels to an extent. They've made yeah. it so everyone can participate. And that's... What also is great about cryptocurrency is that by by taking some of the mystery out of of financial transactions and, and financial wealth, by making it more accessible to more people instead of having to rely on you know the JP Morgan Chases and, and Bank of Americas and all these centralized you know banks who are and honestly we're at their whim, we're at their mercy of you know whether it comes to checking account fees or transaction fees, paying fifty dollars for a wire transfer. It's just ridiculous. When I it is ridiculous. Ugh, Western Union is robbing us. Yeah, it, it's it's robbing us. When I can send someone over in Japan Bitcoin in in under in under ten minutes for pennies on the dollar, actually pennies. Period. It it's, doesn't make any sense. So decentralization is coming for everything you know and love, everything you know and trust. We're not going to need. Uh, I mean, decentralization is eventually going to transform the way we vote. You know, real estate. Currency. I mean, in, in my article, I say there's there's a 350 trillion dollar market of money, equities, and real estate around the world, and they'll all be digitized somehow and put on it as blockchain assets eventually. That sounds amazing. Okay, so now with decentralization, now that we know a lot about it, thank you so much because you just for me just elaborated even more, uh, touched upon it even more for my audience, and I and I know that they're. I mean, the way you broke it down was just awesome. What three coins do you prefer? Like, I know there's so many out there, 
And I know that there's Litecoin. Obviously, we talked about Bitcoin and, and why that's still prevalent and that's still relevant, excuse me. What other coins do you think people should be looking at? So, well, Bitcoin is the OG and it'll always be the OG. It, it, and it's and people complain that, you know, it's not as easy to spend per se. It's, a bit of, it's basically digital gold. So I'll always stand for Bitcoin because it is treating me so well. I mean, from $88 to $13,000, you know, I mean, it's, it's treating me very That's well. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and so think of Bitcoin as like digital gold. It's something you want to kind of just stack and save, stack and save. I'm, I mean, I'm biased, but right now I'm, I'm interested in Tron because Tron, TRX, it's basically like a faster, cheaper version of Ethereum. I think Ethereum is great. Ethereum pretty much ushered in everyday usable smart contracts. Ethereum is only, gosh, only about five years old, came out summer of 2015, and it went from essentially 15 cents to now over $400 a pop mm-hmm. right now. And, but the problem with Ethereum is that the way the Ethereum blockchain works, when you pay for transaction, in Bitcoin, you're paying, you have to pay what's called you know, minor fees, and those can vary. Usually depends on the congestion of the network. Same deal with Ethereum, but it's even worse. They can call it gas. But because Ethereum is so popular right now, with a lot of instruments that are called DeFi, decentralized finance, which are basically a bunch of smart contracts talking to each other to make financial transactions, there's just too much heat on the space. And Ethereum is just too slow and clogged. To give you an example, uh, Ethereum allows 15 transactions per second, whereas I believe, if I recall, if I recall correctly, something like, like Visa, the Visa network, does something like 24,000 transactions per second. It might, it might, I think it might even be higher than that. So I think it might be 240,000 transactions per second. So with every time you swipe your card at the grocery store you know, and it goes through instantly, it's because the Visa network is so big and robust. So right now, Ethereum is, is, is congested. You probably should have some, but I'm not as big on it because I'm over here on Tron. I'm building decentralized finance part of my company on Tron. Because Tron is faster, it's cheaper right now. Tron is going for about three cents a pop. It's low fee to zero fee, whereas to send even even the smallest bit of Ethereum during a busy time on the Ethereum network, it's going to cost you. It could cost you up to like twenty dollars. It's ridiculous. So, so I'm I'm very big on Tron as being like the the lightweight version of Ethereum. And then a third one. Oh, and the third one I would so Ethereum Tron. And then I like Monero. Monero is a privacy coin. XMR is the is this call sign or whatever. I like Monero because it's private by default. There are perfectly legitimate reasons for wanting financial privacy in the digital space. You know what I mean? So I like the fact that we have that option with Monero. And the more you see institutional players and governments get involved in the cryptocurrency, the, the more tracked and less private it will become. And that's why the more people would want to go to Monero because they don't want government in their business, right? Yeah, and, and everyone who wants financial privacy isn't a freaking you know terrorist or isn't trying to avoid tax for them. I mean, I, there, there's a great guy in this space, Andreas Antonopoulos. I'm sure you might have heard of him by this point. He's mm-hmm. probably Bitcoin. And if there were a mascot for Bitcoin at large, it, it is this guy. He's been there from the beginning. He speaks very eloquently on all these topics. But, I, but he recently was at a, an online conference I attended and he's giving us a speech about, well, actually it was an interview, but it was pretty much more like a speech. I mean, he's got this stuff down cold now. He's talking about how because of the arbitrary nature of governments, and we're going through this right now with our current administration, don't get me started, but uh, because mm-hmm. of the arbitrary nature of governments, how rules can change from one administration to the next, there's nothing, who's to say, because of the, the relative transparency of 
you know, the blockchain and because of the fact that you can go back and see every transaction ever done on the Bitcoin blockchain or any blockchain for that matter. Who's to say that if the rules change, that something that you bought four years ago, five years ago, isn't ruled and made illegal? I mean, who's to say hmm. that, that, you know, for a great example is weed, marijuana. You know, I, I'm in a couple of weed-loving states, you know, Nevada and Washington. It's both legal there, but once upon a time, not too long ago, I'm old enough to remember when uh, marijuana was illegal. And so let's mm-hmm. say what? Uh, we still have people in jail from selling marijuana, so. Exactly. So let's say you, you buy marijuana today with Bitcoin, whatever, perfectly legal in your state, what have you. And then, I don't know, 10 years from now, so there's a new, or 12 years from now, there's some new administration. They outlaw all that stuff. They go back through the history of your transaction to see, oh, Barbara in 2020 bought marijuana from this dispensary using Bitcoin. And we don't like that. So we're going to throw her in jail. There's. Mm-hmm. There's a perfect reason that that is one example of the reason why you want to have a, a degree of financial privacy and why Monero being private by default is an excellent coin to have in your portfolio. I'm definitely going to look into it. But one of the things that I noticed about Monero is not a lot of exchanges will present Monero. You know, they, they won't exchange Monero. So do you have, uh, besides like the Coinbases and the uh, Robin Hoods, are there any other exchanges that you suggest or? Yeah, a lot of exchanges are coming into government compliance, and that's not even necessarily a bad thing, but it does limit some of the coins, some of the more exotic coins that you get exposed to. I'm a big fan of Exodus, Exodus.io. It is actually a wallet, but in the Exodus wallet, uh, they have a built-in marketplace where you can exchange a bunch of different coins, of which Monero is one. I keep my money in my Exodus wallet, because partially because of what you said, most well, also, well, I don't believe in keeping my coins on the exchange, you know, for reasons I mentioned earlier. You know, I'm not. If, and as we say in crypto, if it's not your keys, not your wallet. If you don't have, your, if you don't have custody of your private keys, it's not your wallet. You don't own your actual money. If all the money I have in U.S. Bank, if it were to go under today, yes, I'm FDIC insured, technically whatever. But if somehow we ran out of FDIC money, or decided not to pay me, or I had over $250,000 worth of money in that account, whatever, I'm just asked out. Whereas mm-hmm. if I have $250,000 in Monero and Bitcoin or whatever, and I keep it in my own wallet, I'm good. So I don't have to worry about Coinbase going under. I don't have to worry about you know any of those shenanigans. I'm, it's the equivalent of putting money under your pillow or burying your backyard. It's having it in your own wallet. So I would have... Suggest that you and and your your listeners, if you're new to all this, if you were to get a, a Bitcoin wallet, go to exodus.io. All that stuff is free. Gin up a wallet. Take care of your private keys. Make a few copies. Store them securely. Put them in a couple different places. I suggest a safety deposit box. I have a fireproof safe <laughs> on my desk as well. A little tiny fireproof safe as well. And and you know and just kind of you, know, you keep custody of it that way. And then when you do buy something from Coinbase send it off Coinbase to your Exodus wallet. That is awesome. I never, I didn't even think about that. So I will definitely be getting myself an Exodus wallet as soon as we are done with the podcast. <laughs> so I I mentioned earlier about your latest creation, Cinemagraph. Can you tell me more about it and what role cryptocurrency is going to play in your company? Sure. So Cinemagraph, I am eventually positioning to be the DraftKings of Hollywood fancy sports style games before the movies and streaming entertainment. So you know, just like fancy sports, instead of picking athletes from teams, you're picking actors from movies or TV shows, and you're putting them all onto one lineup that we call a call sheet. And and how they're 
titles perform in the real world, you've gamified it so that you get points for, for how your actors' titles perform, and you're competing against other people for fun and prizes. And so the way crypto comes into us, besides my natural love of all of this, is that in trying to find a revenue model that's a little more robust, if not even attractive to potential outside investors, I kind of stumbled onto the only thing I made money on in 2018, to be honest with you, is a little experiment called P3D, or the power of weak hands. Their site is still up at POWH.io. And basically, they had a model. I'm not sure if they're... I'm not even sure if they're the first ones to come up with the model, but they definitely were the ones who popularized it. But they had an ETH-based token, Ethereum-based token smart contract where you exchange Ethereum for their proprietary P3D token. And, and every time you had a transaction, both depositing or drawing or transferring between other token holders, 10% would be taken off. And of that, and with the 10%, they disperse it as they disperse that transaction fee as dividends to all other token holders. So if you put in, so let's say you had 10 ETH and you bought P3D, they take one Ethereum out and disperse that proportionally to all the other token holders who already have P3D. And I thought that was brilliant. It had a really glorious summer you know, where where once they connected a game to the contract, it, there was, I was making about Sixteen hundred dollars a day, just passively. Wow. It was yeah for like for like four days. It, it was the meteor. It came and it went. But the issue with that contract is that that they didn't have sustainable games. A lot of the marketing around it was you know very tongue and cheeky pyramid scheme, Ponzi esque or whatever, and it that kind of kept it from potentially being all the way great. And so I thought, well, why don't I? Why can't something like that work for Cinema Draft? Why can't that be? Why can't a P3D clone because they open sourced their their work, they open sourced their contract and invited people to essentially you know build off of their platform. Why can't I do something similar for a Cinema Draft and use a proprietary token that we can use inside Cinema Draft to play for games, to get discounts and services, and to pay for stuff? And so that's where CD3D came in, and you can find information on our project over at CD3D.app.app. And basically, it's it's a clone of P3D, uh, which is why we're keeping the 3D part of the name. And for every transaction, there'll be a 10% transaction fee. And of that, 75% goes back to token holders, 22% goes to Cinedraft, the company, and 3% is reserved for community rewards. And we have very big plans for those community rewards. Oh, that sounds really awesome. And Cinema Draft is it's live, right? Can I go on? You, I think we, we talked about it a little bit before the uh, podcast. I can download it right now on my iPhone and, and start playing today, right? Well, actually, well, right now we are we are currently in an alpha testing mode. We've had to pivot because of the the, the pandemic, as oh, okay. or know that movie theaters are not out and running these days. So we actually have pivoted to a streaming model. So right now we are we're just doing some lo-fi alpha testing, spreadsheet based, what have you. We should hopefully have something up by the end of this quarter. And we're looking to relaunch a streaming-focused model in conjunction with launching CD3D as well. That's, that will be the, the native token for our web app. Oh, I can't wait to play because Netflix has been my staple lately. <laughs> Barbara, let me tell you, because of this game, because so in, in the game, in our talent pool, our pool of available actors and titles, I mean, I do 25 new titles each week. And I'm telling you, I find at least five or six new things every week that I like to watch from all the various platforms. I mean, the thing about Simadraft that makes it fun, in addition to the potential to win, you know, money or crypto, or whatever, and it's free to play game as well. It's 
really enhances movie discovery. It's definitely poised to be a friend to the movie industry once the movie industry comes back up in force. And also it definitely is helping out streaming streaming platforms because we cover as many different platforms as we can, all the new and interesting stuff that's available that comes out each week to keep people engaged. Oh, that sounds awesome. So I do want to ask you uh, this last question. Well, actually the second last question. Where do you think cryptocurrency is headed? Uh, part of what I said with, with my article with, with the $350 trillion globally of money, equities, and real estate, all that's going to be digitized. Title companies are, are going to be gone. Uh, we're probably going to, we're trying to figure out blockchain voting. Because, I mean, everyone's on their mobile phone. You really want to get turned out for an election? Make voting on the blockchain. And they've, and they've actually tried some experiments. It's very rough. We're probably a good 10 years away from anything wide-scale usable. But I think anything that requires trust or a middleman to an extent is probably going to be gone. I mean, well, do you think we'll be able to go like to, to my local grocery store and, and uh, be able to use cryptocurrency to buy groceries and, and, well, we you already can. There's, oh. yeah, there's, I shouldn't really show from the, I can't remember the site. There's a, a company called 10X or something where, where you can, I mean, for a fee, obviously you can basically load up a traditional debit card, or a credit card with crypto and use it anywhere credit cards are used or sold. I mean, the, the, the fees are, are a little steep relatively, but if you want to stay crypto liquid, it's never been easier than that. And there's a guy, actually, he, he interviewed me about four or five years ago, Diamond Michael Diamond Michael Stone, I think. And he had, he's been off the grid. He's been living off of crypto since 2014. Pays his rent. They buy stuff, I mean, through, you know, make some gift cards like that. But I mean, it's very possible now. And actually, even Coinbase has a card where I believe you can use your crypto in traditional fiat credit card places. So yeah, it's never been easier. So my final question would be for our listeners, what do you think that they, like, what's the most important thing about cryptocurrency uh, for our newer and uh, early intermediate uh, listeners? What's the most important thing you think we should know? Well, this is, I don't know if this is a bit of a tagline, but I vehemently believe this, adamantly believe this, that we have a once in a generation chance to build generational wealth. We are very early in this game. The crypto market isn't even, I mean, it's not even half a trillion yet right now. I mean, if there's 350 trillion out there of stuff to be digitized and put on a blockchain, you have a very long way to go. We're at like the bottom of the first inning, if that. Institutions are just waking up to the fact they need to have this in their balance sheet. Traditional investors are saying, yeah, you should probably have at least 1% to 5% of your portfolio in, into crypto. And we're just getting started with this. So if anything I can impress upon your listeners and yourself is just to get started. Buy the crypto that you like. Buy the crypto that you think has a future or whatever. Try to avoid some of these fly-by-night companies or scams, whatever. Study. Do your own research. You'll, you'll lose some money along the way, you know, learning about some of these projects. It's okay. We all got taken. I got took by BitConnect. It's okay. I learned from it. You know, we're all, all of us, you know, has been suspect, subject to some sort of scam here and there. But do the research as much as possible and definitely get you some Bitcoin. It'll always be there for you. And then also, if you find a project you like, you think can do Ethereum-like returns. For, I mean, and honestly, I mean, not to, you know, be too much of a shill, but honestly, when CD3D is up and running, because of the nature of that contract and the fact that the more money that goes into the contract, the higher the price, the higher the, the value of owning CD3 is, when that gets launched, honestly, invest in that. Because I'm telling you, from the dividends to the incremental 
increase in the value of CD3D to the incremental value increase of Tron, which is what we're basing the platform on. I mean, there's there's so many ways you can make money off of not only that token, but other tokens. So do your own research. Get in the game now. You don't have to own a whole Bitcoin or a whole anything. Everything is is usually divisible to the eighth decimal. Just get some started because we are just getting started right now. And what was $88 to me in 2014, $13,000 to you right now is going to be, we're going to look back at this and laugh, I promise you. Oh, this is, I'm so excited for the future of cryptocurrency. And you, you only, like, I feel like you've just tripled my, <laughs> just my motivation for, for learning and knowing all things crypto. And I thank you so much, Eduardo, for dropping your knowledge on us. I, I'm sure my listeners learned a lot of this, of this show. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be You're welcome. And please, everyone, go to blacksinbitcoin.com so that you can learn more. You can read his articles. Um, also, be on the lookout for Cinema Draft. That's going to be coming out here in the new, near future. That's right. Cinemadraft.co. That is cinemadraft.co. And, and also cd3d.app. There you go. Have a wonderful day, everyone, and see you next time. Bye.